morning everyone take a look at this little seed see this little seed one day it's going to become kale right this is actually <laughs> right here from our garden this kale this is from our garden at home and it's honestly magical to see this stuff grow i mean look at this this little seed right here is going to become kale it's like magic in fact a couple days ago my wife and I, we got back from Colorado and we came home after two weeks not really knowing what was going on here. And it was so funny because she saw these three little tiny cucumbers growing at the very bottom. She sees three little things and she just lit up. She goes, oh my gosh, look, Alex. And she's like making a big parade out of it. You know, I have to finish what I'm doing over there and come over and see it real quick. And she was just like a little kid. It was like... We experience this kingdom of God moment together, right then and there. Because you see, we've been studying Jesus's parables, and Jesus has a lot to say about the kingdom of God. And today we're going to look at Mark 4, 26 through 34 again, the parable of the growing seed, where Jesus compares that little seed I was showing you to the kingdom of God. Now, Jason already did an amazing teaching on this, but the beautiful things about parables is how they keep giving. There's not just one meaning to a parable. There's not one explanation. In fact, the nature of parables is not to give you the exact answer. It's to send you on a journey. And often, again, when Jesus presents a parable, he relates it to the kingdom of God, like this seed that we're going to talk about. Because just like then and today, the kingdom of God has always fascinated humanity. We want to know what it's like. I mean, in the New Testament alone, it's mentioned over a hundred times. So it's no wonder Jesus often teaches about the kingdom of God through these parables. But he does so in a way that sends us on a process of transformation, or we're invited into the mystery. Again, not to arrive at some right answer, but instead... To discover something new because when we think we have it all figured out he invites us to reimagine it and think about it all again so we're gonna hear this parable again and continue to challenge ourselves to keep digging because ultimately parables challenge us to think differently and I think Jesus was challenging the people of his time and us to see something new in this parable so let's turn to Mark 4, 26 through 32. So this is happening one afternoon. They're all near the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is teaching to a large crowd. Jesus is with his disciples and a small group of people. And they want to know, what is the kingdom of God all about? And he answers with this parable in Mark 26 through 32. The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself, first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle because the harvest has come. He also said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable will we use for it? 
It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So when Jesus is speaking to the crowd, that first part, the kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. This idea of someone scattering seed on the ground was a message that everyone could relate to in his time because agriculture was one of the most essential features of these people's lives. They, they depended on food they grew to survive, right? They, they couldn't just go to the grocery store. They had a respect for the land because they depended on it. They understood the seasons. They saw the seeds sprouting, maturing. Everyone in this region knew what Jesus was talking about. Farming was life. Life was farming. So when Jesus enters their world, it's a world he's also very familiar with. But the way he talks about God is very unfamiliar. You see, Jesus knew something about them. He knew how desperate they were for their crops to succeed. Again, remember, this was life or death. And many people in the Greco-Roman world believed in agricultural deities and fertility gods. So Jesus, as a first century Jewish rabbi, he lived in a monotheistic culture where he worships one God, right? So this is already this radical departure from the Greco-Roman society who believed in many gods for different purposes. So for them, in order to get what they wanted, right, in order for these crops to grow, they needed to placate to these gods. So they would go out of their way to please these gods, to make sure that these crops would grow. Uh, for instance, when it would rain, right, frogs normally came out. So scholars note that when it rains, when frogs came out, witch doctors, uh, they might come out and they'd start croaking like frogs to suggest to their gods that the gods should make it rain. Or for instance, they also believed in the gods of fertility. So farmers back then, they knew fertility had something to do with sex. And so they thought a father and mother god created son and daughter gods. So men and women would actually have sex in their fields as a religious ritual to suggest to the gods again that they should make these crops grow. So they were obsessed with pleasing the right god to make their crops grow because in their minds, if they didn't do the right thing the right way, then God wasn't going to grow the crops. Or essentially, God wasn't going to bless them. God wasn't going to help them survive. So when Jesus comes on the scene, he completely disrupts their understanding of who God is, what God is doing. It's almost like he's saying, hey, hey, you, you all don't need to do that. The God I know is for you. The kingdom of God is meant to flourish. Trust in God. That's a beautiful first part of this message, isn't it? And again, that was revelatory for the people at this time. It's like God is for us? God is on our side? I mean, these people were oppressed. This was a message for the oppressed, for people who'd been uh, subjugated, put down by the ruling powers of the Roman Empire, the religious elite. 
So the kingdom of God was a promise that right now, God will help you flourish. And honestly, that's a message we need to hear too, right? I mean, it's so easy to lose hope with everything that's going on. I mean, one week we're at church without masks. Now we're back in person wearing masks. I mean, this Delta variant is exploding. It's easy to believe that somehow God's absent or not involved, that God is not really for us. It's easy to lose hope. But Jesus wants us to know that God is for us. When you plant that seed, God is helping to make it grow. But he also wants us to know the difference between God is for us and God is doing it all for us. There's a difference because there's an equally dangerous mentality that emerges from this revelation that God is for us. Because the truth is that somehow over the years, that revelation, it led many Eurocentric theologians to believe that God is doing it all for us, right? This is a very traditional understanding of God that got developed that basically God is in control. God is all-powerful. God is apart from the world, and there's nothing you have to necessarily do to make the kingdom come true. Oh, except, yeah, there is one little thing that you have to do. You have to believe the right things. Just believe in God. Believe the right things. Just put your faith in Him, right? Because, of course, God is always a Him, because, you know, they ended up making God into a male, too. And again, everything will turn out good in the end. Just believe the right things. Don't worry about it. Many people take this parable to mean that God is ultimately doing all the work. That sounds kind of dreamy, right? I mean, it's definitely better than jumping up and down like frogs, begging the gods to help. But is it true? Because if it is, then we have to ask ourselves a very serious question. If that's true, does God need you? Does God need you? You see, I've learned just a little bit about farming. And you see this seed, right, that I held up earlier, right? It's a kale seed. So that means one day it's going to grow into kale, or if it's a cucumber seed, it's going to grow into cucumber. This little thing turns into something you can eat and harvest. So how this thing works, right? When I pop this seed into this little thing, eventually it's going to sprout a little bit. I'm going to put it in here. It's going to water it, and eventually it's going to give me what I'm looking for, right? Now, I honestly can't explain how that works. God seems to be doing all the work, right, when this is happening. So does God need me? <laughs> well, what happens if I don't pop these in the slot? What happens if I forget to plug this thing in? What happens if it runs out of water here at the bottom? Can God still make this kale grow? No, God can't. God can't. I know, I know, that's a, that's a scary thought. But seriously, if I don't take care of this thing, there's nothing God can do about it. Now, how do I know that? 
because sometimes I'm terrible at taking care of this thing and I've seen what happens. I've failed so many times trying to make these pods grow. Remember how I said how excited Claire Elise was when we got back from vacation, my wife? Well, one time we came home from a trip and my wife's response was, oh my God, look at these bugs, what happened? <laughs> exact opposite. Cause we didn't spray it in time and bugs took over the entire plant. And that pod looked absolutely disgusting. So if I don't take care of this, it's not going to produce fruit. Now that seems obvious, right? Duh, God needs me too. God needs you. But sometimes we just, we forget that. Because when we take our traditional theological cues from people of privilege, then our understanding of gospel gets skewed. Understanding that God is for us is beautiful, but in this instance, believing that God will do it all for us is more than problematic. This view of God, again, mostly comes from a place of privilege where, for people like me, life is pretty good. You can just sit back for the most part. Yeah, you work, but I'm pretty much oblivious to the labor of the marginalized that continues to prop up the systems of privilege that some of us inherited and benefit from, like me. And if you only have a sit back and let God do it mindset, that's probably a form of denial in some ways. And this was certainly not a mentality that Jesus or the people hearing this parable were familiar with. They couldn't afford to just sit back and let God. Remember, they were doing all kinds of things to just make the gods do something, right? That's how important it was. Because in this time, scholars note that first century Rome was made up of either wealthy, about 3% of the population, or poor people, about 90%. There's no middle class in the time of Jesus. So about 28% of the people of his time did not know if they would be able to survive on a daily basis. They lived in a limited good society where inherited status largely determined their social and economic stability. That means they had much less than they needed in this limited good society because a small number of people had much more than they needed. So the Roman Empire, certain religious authorities, they continue to oppress the poor in this time. I mean, does any of this sound familiar today? <laughs> right? It could be argued, right, that the Roman Empire of today is kind of like the United States. I mean, in the United States since 1970, income and wealth inequality has completely shot through the roof. Oppression has always been a reality as we built the kingdom of America on the backs of slaves and indentured servants, and today inequality continues to increase. According to the Credit Swiss Global Wealth Report, the world's richest 1%, those with more than 1 million, own 44% of the world's wealth. 44% of the world's wealth, the 1% own that. And now, you know, we have this major pandemic still raging. 
We see inequalities continue to grow. Currently, there's more than 30 Americans now depending, 30 million, sorry, Americans now depending on unemployment benefits. Those are already expiring. Low-wage workers are being laid off. The pandemic is pounding poor neighborhoods where the number of COVID-19 cases is higher. The mentality of God's doing it all, whatever form that takes, right? Whether it's God will fix the virus, God will end injustice, God will put an end to racism. That kind of thinking is literally killing us. And in Jesus's time and today, many people didn't and don't have any way to defend themselves from being exploited by death-dealing systems of power. So God is doing it all, don't worry, may sound nice to those who hold power, but if we pull back the curtain, we realize that kind of theology props up the system of power that it hopes to maintain. It continues to privilege the privileged, encouraging those with less to possibly be complacent or even beholden to the structures of inequality that continue to oppress them. I mean, it, it's just rampant, the problems. But that's not what Jesus imagines the kingdom of God to look like. Because if God is for us, then certainly that isn't the vision of the kingdom of God. So let's go back to verse 30. Because what does this vision look like then for the kingdom of God? When Jesus says, Jesus said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air make nests in its shade. So here he's pointing to the true reality of the kingdom of God. Again, Jesus spoke their language. So that phrase, small as a mustard seed, was a popular saying used during this time by other rabbis. Everybody knew what that meant. They understood that even the smallest seed could grow into a giant tree that provides shade and life to many different living things. These kingdom of heaven seeds are like potential seeds of flourishing, justice, well-being. They can grow a world where everyone can live into their God-given potential. From the smallest seed, a world of inclusion and well-being is possible. You see, Jesus starts to plant that seed in people's hearts and minds when he roamed the earth. And today he continues to cultivate that vision through us. The problems we see in this world are not for God to fix by God's self. That's not even possible, right? What happens if we don't know where to get real information about a deadly virus? What happens if we pretend like this virus doesn't exist? What happens if we don't acknowledge the isms of this world? Racism, classism, sexism, heterosexism. I mean, 
we're not going to heal. Remember these seeds, right? What happens if I don't put these seeds into the slot? What happens if I forget to plug it in? If it runs out of water, it's not going to grow. God invites our participation. God chooses not to make this grow without me. I can't make this cucumber, this kale grow without God. God can't make this grow without me. We are participants working together to bring about the flourishing of humanity. God needs us as we need God. God needs us. God needs you. I think the person who said it best was Teresa of Avila, the 16th century Spanish mystic, when she said, Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth, but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. You see, what she's pointing to and what Jesus knew is that God's nature is, yes, of course, to bring about the flourishing for all entities. That means you, me, animals, the earth, all things. That's what the kingdom of God on earth looks like. A glorious shrub with large branches that all beings can rest under. An equitable living wage for all people so they can rest and breathe easy. A writing of relationships where racism, all those isms, no longer have meaning. A diverse world where everyone, again, can live into their God-given potential. The kingdom of God is meant to flourish. We do not always know how. That's the mystery of God, but we don't have to croak like frogs to convince God of that. There's nothing we can do to convince God of human flourishing because designed, the design of God was to design flourishing into our humanity. And God gave us the ability to plant. So that can't happen without us. Like Teresa said, God's asking you to plant the seeds of love. Now, don't get me wrong, right? This is not some Pollyanna worldview. I mean, look, when you start to sow those seeds of love, it's not going to be easy. In fact, in Jesus' time, many people actually considered the mustard bush from that mustard seed to be a garden pest. Many people wouldn't plant it on purpose because it grew so fast. <laughs> it would take over entire fields. And I think Jesus knew that too. Because guess what? Some people don't want you to sow that seed. They'd rather you sit back and stay quiet. You're a pest to them. Well, you know what? Jesus was a pest to the powerful too. But when the people of God get activated, and start sowing, the kingdom of God begins to grow. Is God for us? 
Yes. <laughs> Does God need you? Yes. God needs all of us to start planting. The kingdom of God grows and flourishes with your help. You are needed in God's vision and God needs you. God's not asking you to do it all, right? I'm not doing this all. But I believe the divine is calling you to take the next step, whatever that is. Maybe that's offering a friendly hello to a neighbor who's always passing by without a glance. Maybe it's calling an old friend, apologizing for something you did wrong. Maybe it's ending a relationship that continues to drag you down. Maybe it's standing in solidarity with movements like Black Lives Matter, going to a pride parade. Maybe it's wearing a mask, even though it's awkward and uncomfortable. Whatever it may be, God speaks to all of us differently, just like in this parable. God is calling us to make the world a place of inclusive well-being for all. Now, I know it's hard to take that first step, but whether or not you trust or believe, if you plant it, God is going to help it grow. Your kale's gonna grow. God is with us always, no matter how difficult our circumstance or how many pandemics rage, but God can't do it all for us. The reign of God is a co-creative, cooperative act. It starts with a sower, someone like you, someone like this community, moving towards a potential. And it will flourish here and now and well into the future if we co-create and experience God's reign together. Now, you may not see the height of its glory in your lifetime, but you can sow the seeds of its future today. Because one day, all will rest in the shade of God's branches. But God needs you, all of us, to get started. So I'm wondering today, what will you plant today? What can God grow through this community? Will you pray with me? <sighs> Loving God, God of growth, wellness, inclusion, God of goodness, <sighs> thank you for giving us the potential to plant. We ask that you continue to plant through us. We ask that you inspire us to see what is next. To be courageous and bold to say, I'm going to plant that seed. Because God is for me. And I'm going to see this thing grow. God, I pray that all of us would have the courage and the inspiration to do that. May you fill us continually with your love as you are always with us, you are always for us. And may we know that truly in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey guys, it's Kaya, and before you head off today, I have a couple quick announcements for you guys. Um, if you're new to the Oceanside Sanctuary, hi, hello, welcome. Um, we are so excited to um, have you here online or in person. Um, 
If you are new, we would love to get to know you and connect with you. Simply just scan the QR code or visit our website, OceansideSanctuary.com slash contact. Um, we have a band here um, every Thursday at 6.30 uh, p.m. Um, if you have a desire to plug into our church and uh, help out, if you have a musical talent, a singing talent, you don't even have to have, like, you don't have to be good at that talent. Like, if you love to sing, if you love to play guitar, if you love to play piano, whatever it is, and you feel you have a passion to join our band, um, feel free to join us every Thursday at 6.30 p.m. Um, we are looking for a couple volunteers to be a part of our new welcome team and slides team. Uh, for the welcome team, you would be uh, help us set up coffee before church and welcome people into the space. Uh, for the slides team, you would help run the slides on Sunday morning. If you're interested, please talk uh, with Alex at the end of the service. On August 29th, we have Sunday of Songs service. Uh, the S the OSC band will play songs from the summer season as we transition to our next sermon series. Uh, we will have a series with six songs to showcase the OSC band's growth and invite you to sing songs you have come to know. Have a favorite song uh, from any of the past weeks? Uh, make sure to tell Joey. Um, how to support our mission. Uh, Oceanside Sanctuary is a 501c3 nonprofit and we rely on the gifts and donations of people just like you. Um, if you'd like to support our uh, mission, consider giving today um, at our website, OceansideSanctuary.org slash give. Scan the QR code, or if you're in person, there's a donation box in the back. Thank you guys. Have a good week.